Welcome to First Time Lord. I'm Daniel Levane, and I had not seen a single Doctor Who episode until I started this show, and now I can't stop. And because I can't stop, we're just going to move right along into this episode, uh, it being a continuation of last week's episode aliens of london so if you haven't seen this week's episode which happens to be titled world war three go ahead and hit pause on the podcast right now and come back when you're done watching it because there's absolutely no way of asking the questions that i need to ask and talking about this episode without spoiling it now that you have had an opportunity to watch the show Let's introduce my guest this week. And my guest this week, it is she is one of the biggest Doctor Who fans I know. She's had multiple encounters with multiple doctors, and she has documented all of them. I have seen them on her Facebook page for years, and I am finally going to be able to, one, understand who these people are, and two really appreciate why she loves these folks so let me introduce the one the only the incomparable ashley hello i'm so excited to be here i am so excited to finally be able to talk to you about doctor who in a way that makes sense to me Because we've had conversations about Doctor Who before. They just happen all to be you sharing how much you enjoy meeting these characters and me going, uh-huh. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think I've talked about it quite a bit. Well, it, I am finally able to join in on the conversation uh, and I can't wait. So let's jump right into it. This week's episode is a continuation. I did not know it was a two-parter episode when I got into last week's episode. And I just, wow. That's all I can say is, wow. This, this show just doesn't waste any time, right? It, episode nope. one, they're already mm-hmm. talking about the ultimate uh, you know, destruction of Earth. Episode two, we actually see the world explode. And here we are, episode five, and we are dealing with worldwide destruction or the threat of worldwide destruction from an alien invasion. Like, talk about just moving at light speed. (laughs) Absolutely. That's the great thing about Doctor Who is that every episode can be, you know, a different time, a different place, different world. And you know, as as big as this episode is, you know, dealing with nuclear destruction, um, it also has that great home element. You know, it brings it back to Rose's mom and, you know, present day of what that period was. Um, you know, it's a year after when Rose was picked up by the doctor. So we are in, you know, March 2006, London. Um, so I love that they always, they kind of juxtapose those things together. You know, the the simple you know, at home life, just to see, you know, what happens to those that the doctor and his companions leave behind. And then you throw in, of course, you know, aliens and destruction and all that great stuff. I really did enjoy the time we had 
Uh, and in this episode, they're separated and they're talking through her souped up Nokia uh, <laughs> yes. wireless device. I mean, those things were rock solid to begin with. Now it mm -hmm. can, you know, it, it can reach out through a solid steel wall. But I, I really appreciated the, the, the time that was spent um, with Rose and her mom talking about the doctor just her mom finally sort of coming to grips with the experience that Rose is having mm -hmm. and maybe not super being, maybe not condoning it, but certainly understanding why she would be interested in following this crazy man that seems to constantly put her in peril. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think just in this episode alone, you see, the growth that Jackie has. I mean, if she starts off, you know, calling to give information on the doctor because she's worried about her doctor's or about her daughter's uh, safety. Mm -hmm. But by the end, she tells Rose, you know, I'm ready to learn about this world and, you know, what you do with him. And she ultimately does let her go back traveling with him. She's not the happiest about it. You can tell she's very sad, but, you know, she's okay with it. Yeah, it just, it was a very sweet moment. And, it was abundantly clear from the beginning that Rose and her mom have a very close relationship. And throughout the episodes, we have seen just a furthering development of that relationship or a furthering insight into their relationship. And in last week's episode, we see the very concerned side of a mother who has ostensibly been you know missing her daughter for a year completely mm -hmm. unsure what had happened possibly even moving on to the idea that she was never going to see rose again and then being confronted with rose who very nonchalantly just walks back into the house as if <laughs> nothing has happened and now in just a few hours and as the world decides to, to grapple with the idea of aliens the mom has an opportunity to kind of, she really does start to feel like her daughter is fine. Like I, yes. this, if anything, this episode shows me that she feels like Rose is going to be fine because Rose can handle herself. Absolutely. I mean, I forget a lot of times that Rose is only 19. She can yeah. definitely handle herself. I, I'm. I we talked about that a little bit last week. The I, I it never really. She clearly the actress is not 19 when she was re, when she was making these episodes. So it in my head, I never really connected her to being that young. And it wasn't until the doctor mentioned it, and mm -hmm. I think it was the uh, the Unquiet Dead that he specifically says she's 19, and. It didn't really hit me, uh, but now in two weeks in a row, I've talked to uh, my host last week, my guest last week, and you this week. And yeah, the the age definitely does play into some of the concerns, certainly uh, as a parent, uh, but also the concern that she may not be old enough to know how to handle herself. And yet, so far, we've seen that Rose is more than equipped for these adventures that she's gone into so far and that sh the way she handles 
the way she handles herself, her emotional maturity is far outweighed by her actual physical maturity. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that's a common thread with the doctor's companions. He just somehow manages to get very mature, you know, adventure ready friends. I mean, cause in that, the first episode of Rose, he just grabs her hand and says, run. And he very mm-hmm. easily could have, you know, not invited her to go on these adventures with him. But after knowing her, you know, just a few hours, he was ready to invite her into the TARDIS. And by this episode, you see him giving her a TARDIS key. So, you know, she's in, she is the companion. And I think her maturity plays a, a big part of that. Yeah. I, I, particularly like there there's a scene in the middle of the episode where he he has that moment where he is grappling with the gravity of what's happening and there is a maybe an unintentional weight to the words uh, of rose's mom Uh, what did you say her character name is jackie Jackie, there, there's a certain weight to Jackie's words that you could see uh, fall heavy on the doctor. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at her and he says, there's always been a way to end this, to save this. I just can't protect you. Yeah. He says, I could save the world, but lose you. Right. And without, without a thought, Rose goes, well, let's let's do it. Let's try it. Yeah, absolutely. And his face lights up at that moment because he gets very somber when he's saying that. And the moment she responds that way, he lights up almost as if he is seeing what he kind of gut felt that this this girl doesn't need... She's not a wilting flower. She's not the girl that needs saving She's the girl that's going to go in there and do the saving. Mm-hmm. And she's that's not, my girl. Yeah, she's not really going to put herself, or she's not, she's not encumbered by the fears that clearly, uh, and in this episode we see Mickey has. Mickey is not ready to go on this adventure. Mm-hmm. The doctor, I, I, I talk about another scene that caught me by surprise, and I loved. When the doctor is having that conversation, uh, I talked about it last week with Jamie. The doctor is very mean to to Mickey, you know, calling him Ricky, <laughs> yes. uh, saying all these and there, very... There is a reason for that. It, okay. I will just say, remember that, Mickey versus Ricky. Just keep that in mind. I All right. I'll keep that in mind. I, I, I asked about that last week and she sidestepped it as well. But you know he's very he's very demeaning to to Mickey, and in almost that sort of jealous boyfriend kind of way. <laughs> and then there's this moment where he's having a genuine conversation, and he's complimenting him, and he gives him that uh, physical CD and says, "Present for you, Mickey. That's a virus. Put it online. It'll destroy every mention of me. I'll cease to exist." What do you want to do that for? Because you're right. I am dangerous. I don't want anybody following me. How can you say that and then take her with you? You could look after her. Come with us. I can't. This life of yours, it's just too much. I, I couldn't do it. Don't tell her I said that. Yet Rose, on the other hand, 
when faced with the idea of going and adventuring with the doctor or staying in her home with her mom, with her boyfriend safe, she packs up her bags and goes. Mm -hmm. Like that, to me, that is, uh, I mean, I get it. It's 2005. And by then we were already starting to put strong female characters, but that's awesome. I know. I love it. That, I mean, Rose is my favorite companion to this day. My absolute favorite. Mm. And I'm not sure that I know what that means yet, other than because <laughs> I've only seen her and right. heard, you know, I've heard the word companions banted around. Uh, and in my first episode with e, uh, with Eric, we discussed that there have been other companions. Clearly, there have been other doctors. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm not quite sure that I understand yet what this companion commitment is really all about. But I, I'm certainly seeing that Rose is not shying away from whatever that's going to entail. Absolutely. I mean, and I think, you know, the doctor mentions it's either in this episode or the Aliens of London. You know, he's 900 years old. And mm-hmm. this show has been on since 1963. So like you said, obviously there have been different incarnations of the doctor. Um, so therefore, you know, different uh, incarnations of companions, because I don't think there's one that could travel with him for 900 years. But, um, you know, if anybody could be with the doctor forever, I think it would be Rose. She's pretty determined to just stay with him. She's ready. She packed her bag. She's gone. Yeah. And it, with... Uh... This time, I finally got the moment that I didn't really get in the first episode when she just runs into the TARDIS and leaves Mickey behind. I I sort of got the feeling that she was ending their relationship, whereas this time, she's very clearly still in love with Mickey, but she's going to go on this adventure, and she knows that she's going to go on this adventure, and he knows that she's going to go on this adventure and that it's going to be fine. And see, that's interesting. I, I don't know at this point if she's is still in love with Mickey. I was always questioning that even from the beginning, I almost felt like, you know, they were boyfriend and girlfriend and they were very happy together, but I don't know if it was ever, you know, as exciting as it should be for Mm. a, a couple in a relationship. I just, and now she has the doctor and that's just, not, not saying, you know, what their relationship is, but it is just, I think this is the excitement that she was waiting for. Well, I, I felt that in, in watching the first few episodes, I very much felt that her relationship was one of just kind of puppy love. It yeah. Not a real relationship. And last week, uh, Jamie brought up, you know, the the idea that she is 19. And so at 19 years old, that kind of relationship, and I, I have a hard time sort of empathizing or uh, even understanding the, that idea because being a hopeless romantic from way back, every relationship I've ever been in while I've been in it, it this is it. This is the one and only this right, the right. last relationship I'm ever going to have. So now, granted, I've only really ever had three girlfriends, so I'm clearly not much for shopping. Uh, and 
I, it, it is difficult for me to imagine that somebody would be in a relationship where they would use the words boyfriend and girlfriend and not feel strongly. And at the end of this episode, I definitely got, I mean, there, there was enough between Rose and Mickey that I definitely got the feeling that it's not just a simple matter of convenience, boyfriend and girlfriend relationship. But th there are some genuine emotions, some genuine feelings, and that there's possibly more there. To me, it just, I, I think the allure of adventuring and traveling through time and space is a little more intriguing to her at this <laughs> age yeah. than the simple life of a shop girl hanging out with, you know, this possibly 19 20 year old guy that you know also lives in you know this apartment complex in in London so it, that's a difficult ask for anybody it's like do you want this simple you know average life or do you want to travel through time <laughs> what would you choose right I, I think we all know exactly the choice we would make uh, but uh, as uh, as Jamie pointed out last in last week's episode, there's a lot more of us that won't admit to the fact that we're probably a little more like Mickey than we are Rose, and I I truly do believe that that is uh, factual. That we'd like to think that we would all be like Rose, and that given the opportunity, we would all go do that. But the reality is that when you are genuinely faced, when you are looking at the device that can take you into these other worlds and times, and you take a moment to think about what that really means, that we might we might make the decision that Mickey makes, which is ah, I'm not I'm not there. I might be there eventually, but right now, that's a little too far for me to go. Uh, which I really, I, I loved that we got that uh, almost resolution to that character. Uh, and it it now gives Rose sort of an anchor, right? Something to come back to that isn't just the love of her mom. Absolutely. And I agree with that. I mean, we all wish we could be like Rose, but most of us are probably like Mickey. Yeah, I, I genuinely do believe that that is true, that when actually faced with those possibilities and the consequences because at this point mickey has seen the consequences of traveling through time right he he was dragged into a police station he was questioned he was uh being eyed for murder and and treated poorly by other people because of what happened so it's not as easy as saying sure let's go you know i'll jump in your delorean with you doc and let's go back <laughs> to 1955 you know, the, this is this is not that kind of time travel, which I really appreciate because it does immediately sort of call to question the severity uh, and the severe consequences that come from just traveling through time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that Doctor Who does a really good job with. Um, you know, you'll see it throughout the show. It's not a spoiler, but just the idea of dealing with people and situations uh, of those that are left behind you know what mm -hmm. happens after the great adventure happens you know sometimes I think you get so into the episodes and the adventure and the fun of it that 
when they bring it back down to earth and to the family, and it's, it's great having Rose's family there to ground it, you know, it makes you think, oh, wow, yeah, this is, I did leave all this behind. And the, the TARDIS did malfunction and it's, you know, been 12 months instead of 12 <laughs> hours, mm-hmm. um, you know. So, I mean, obviously they weren't even thinking about that. And when they came back to London, she thought it was just 12 hours later. And to immediately go to, oh, no, it's been 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can really see how how awful she does feel. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh... I I'm finding I'm finding those moments in the show very enjoyable but speaking of enjoyable moments in the show this episode has some just epic things that are coming out and I I have to ask some of these questions because (laughs) holy crap so uh last week we are introduced to uh Harriet Jones the MP Mm-hmm. And I I almost felt cheated, and I mentioned this in last week's episode, that here's this great actress from Downton Abbey and all sorts of other... I mean, she's, she's a big-name British Absolutely. actress. Absolutely. Penelope Wilton. Right. And I felt like she was just kind of this, like, little wilting flower, like, insignificant little, you know... Uh, we, we joked in last week's episode that she was just this, you know very low level like freshman senator kind of freshman congressperson kind of <laughs> character and here we go an episode later and she's in command she's in control absolutely i mean and this role was written for her by Russell T Davies so i don't think that was a mistake giving her that kind of character um and the way she introduces herself you know she says harry jones mp fly down north that's something you'll want to remember because it's it's just the way she introduces herself. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, and by the end of it, the doctor keeps saying, how do I know this woman's name? Mm-hmm. Harriet Jones, Harriet Jones, because obviously he's traveled through time. And, and then he realizes and he tells Rose, oh, she ends up being the prime minister for three terms and the architect of Britain's golden age. And I think she is the best thing about these two episodes is the character of Harriet Jones. And, she um, definitely, I mean, I like her as an actress, so I felt like she was underused in the in last week's episode. And then all of a sudden for her to just take charge the way she did, for uh-huh. her to, uh, you know, she has that moment where she looks at the doctor and she's like, well, I'm the only elected off, you know, elected person in this room. And so for the good of the people, I command you to take action. Yeah. Like that again, here's, you know, here's a strong woman, you know, a strong woman in a leadership position, making the right decision, making a decision. Like the doctor says, you know, my, my life here is just, making a decision uh what is he uh, the, the words he says is standing up and making a decision because no one else will mm-hmm. and that's almost directly mirrored by harriet jones's action saying i'm making this decision you know save the world save us even if that means killing the the two humans in this situation like i i really enjoyed her in this yeah, I think she's wonderful. I think she's one of the best characters that Russell T. Davies created. And, you know, like uh, Jamie mentioned last 
week or last episode, you know, just remember Harriet Jones. I wouldn't forget about her. Um, who fans tend to um, break the seasons down into groups by who was the showrunner at the time. And uh, Russell T. Davies was the showrunner and writer for seasons one through four of the reboot. And I think he does an incredible job with keeping characters and themes and just people going, you know, you never know when you've seen the last of someone it's, I love it. It's wonderful. I, so far I've, I've gotten through conversations and questions that I've asked that there's a lot of ground laying. There's a lot of setting the tone for things that are going to happen seasons down the line and Mm -hmm. that's the kind of writing that really excites me because it makes what i'm doing right now and what hopefully uh, listeners to the show are doing which is re-watching and watching these episodes sort of getting these morsels these little nuggets that have been in the show all along and, and are buried throughout the show that if you're just watching it Uh, And I've said this a couple of times now on the podcast. I love that I am taking my time with it because if I was binging through the shows, I'm sure that I would miss things like Harriet Jones, that I would discount her as a character, that I would discount uh, some of the things that I'm being told I should definitely pay attention to. So it's it's an enjoyable means of getting a story across that is more than just one episode or one season. So I, I'm really, really getting into the, the writing and the, the mood of the show by this point. But let's talk about the uh, Slovenes or Slavines. Yes. Slavines, yes. Slavines. So last week's episode they reveal themselves to be the gerber babies from hell <laughs> and then this week we find out that they're more like the hut family like they yes. they, they almost come off like they're like these gangster race of aliens that you know that they got a business and they got to take care of business you know and i'm i've said this in the podcast before i have to equate things to things that I'm familiar with, they, they come off very much like they're the huts of this world. <laughs> That's a really good way to put it. And, you know, at first everybody thinks that they're a race when they say we are the Slovene, they think mm-hmm. they're an alien race. And then we find out that they're actually a family. Um, and it, it's really interesting because the idea to have family villains was inspired by, um, a Doctor Who writer called Paul Cornell, who wrote a story called Human Nature, which you will see later mm. in, in an upcoming episode. But the idea to have it be a family of villains came from that. Um, and I think that was a really interesting twist. You know, it wasn't this whole alien race from another planet coming to take over the Earth. They, it was just a small family that wanted to, you know, blow up the Earth and sell the radioactive remains as fuel and go on their, you know, evil merry way. The, the, it's such a clever, I am so far, and I hope it never stops, but so far I have not, I have yet to not be amazed at how they can take a concept or a theme that seems somewhat familiar and then somehow turn it on its head in a way that I 
just could not see coming. You know, last week's episode, they introduced the the pig alien, and you're <laughs> thinking, okay, that's interesting. And then they just immediately spin that out and it's like, oh no, it's actually it it is a real pig. It was just manipulated by aliens to be able to do what it did. And you're like, mm-hmm. what? That's the how how does that come up as an idea? Like at what point do you go, we're gonna put a thing, but we're not gonna make it into the thing you think it is. And this week again, uh, playing with our preconceived notions of every time in a sci-fi series we're introduced to a few characters, oh, this is a new race. This is, you know, and they're, and we're going to address them uh, in the title of their race as opposed to them individually. And once again, playing on our, on our knowledge, uh, they go, oh yeah, no, we're just a family. We're not the race. It's just a family. And we're a family of jerks that just want to destroy your little world so we can make money. Yeah. And they always seem to come to England when the doctor's in town. Sure. It just works out. Well, you know, that, that, that is the one conceit that while watching the show, I thought, huh, it, it's, it's, it's interesting that they chose England as the government to take over, you know, because clearly they'd been doing this for a while. They'd been inserting themselves into the, diff, the, the annals of power of British Parliament but it it also goes well if they don't have access to nukes and what they want is to why not take over Russia or why not take over China or why not take over the United States government? Sure, the British government is at the center <laughs> of the universe. <laughs> you know? It just brings it you know more to home, especially for the the viewing audience, since it does you know go out to the British people first. Right. So it probably just a more familiar thing for them. It, 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 I, I get it. It's a British show. You know, if it, if Dr. Who was made in America, then of course they would have been taken over NORAD or some, you know, military uh, installation. Uh, it just, it, it felt quite interesting at the time. Um, but since we're talking about the global impact of what was happening in this episode, uh, last week, Jamie mentioned, uh, it, and I had kind of missed, I did not note it and I did not ask her of it. Uh, but this week, they certainly, uh, we see a big, uh, they, they play a, a large role, maybe indirectly through their website, but UNIT. Yes. So we, we get to see a little bit more of UNIT. The, the implications is that this is a United Nations uh, and I'm gathering, based on what happens in this episode, uh, there, we're, we're also kind of talking over it, but there's a lot of carnage in this episode. There's a lot of dead bodies that pile up. <laughs> you know, there's the all of the quote-unquote alien experts that at the very beginning of the episode, uh, that's how the last episode ends, is with all of them getting electrocuted. In one room together, yeah. Right, and then the doctor sort of comes out of it, and death in this show is treated in a very interesting way in that it's almost a throwaway. Like, the doctor gets out of that situation, and the aliens get out of that situation, and then we don't really see what happens to the people in there, and we think, well, if the doctor got out, maybe they got out too. And then halfway through the episode, they're like, yeah, they're all dead. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and, and you see that in this episode, 
you know, going back to what you were talking about where Harriet Jones makes the executive decision, you know, we have to fire this missile, even though Mm -hmm. thousands of people will die. um, You kind of get the idea that that's something that the doctor has probably been faced with before, you know, Mm -hmm. being 900 years old, he has probably seen a lot of death. And I think it almost, it, it makes it easier for him and eases his mind that the fact that it's Harriet Jones saying do it so he doesn't have to make the decision himself. Um, cause that you, not to spoil anything, but you, you can tell that he's probably, this is something that he's had to deal with before. Um, and unit, you know, he makes the, the comment, Rose says, well, why don't you go help them? And he says, oh, they wouldn't recognize me. I've changed a lot since the old days. Um, and for viewers of Classic Who, you know, he, the doctor did deal with Unit a lot, starting with the second doctor, and especially the third doctor. Um, so he has worked with these people before. And um, it's interesting, this is the last episode where they're called United Nations Intelligence Task Force. They had to end up changing it to Unified Intelligence Task Force because the United Nations didn't like their name <laughs> being oh. used in it. So a little fun fact for this episode. Interesting. And now this may be getting into the weeds of Doctor Who lore, but at the very beginning of the season, the first episode, uh, the doctor is in Rose's house and he looks in the mirror uh, and he... uh, His ears. Right. Admiring his own look. So I get the feeling that this version of the doctor is fairly new in his uh reincarnation or whatever it's called uh, yes it's his regeneration regeneration now it, clearly because of the photos that we see strewn throughout time uh he has wasted no time since this regeneration in sort of inserting himself into some of the most prominent moments historical events yeah the, the Titanic right of, and... of, of the last thousand years uh, certainly of the last hundred years so uh, clearly he he has wasted no time but the implication is that he is fairly new in this version in this body in this reincarnation is that correct yes absolutely and we i think are meant to assume that's the first time he's seen himself in a mirror um that was the one thing in the pilot that I was not upset about, but I th- I think it, it they just used Christopher Eccleston's face in all of those pictures um, instead of using the faces of previous doctors because, mm-hmm. you know, they were starting this series over. They're rebooting it, even though he is the ninth doctor. Um, I think they did that so if you had a fresh audience who'd never seen Classic Who... Um, you know, if there were pictures of the other faces of previous doctors, they'd be like, I don't understand who, who are these other people? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we know that's the doctor? Because none of that has been introduced yet um, to the new viewer. Um, but yes, we can, we can assume he's, he's very new into this regeneration. And it's, it's definitely, um, it's formed the man that he is. Well, and Based on certainly the, the the way they keep playing up the the time travel aspect of the show, his regeneration may have for him only happened a few days before he, he runs into Rose, but in those few days, he could have traveled to 
the Nixon or the the Kennedy assassination and the sinking of the Titanic and countless other situations because to him it's just a skip jump in a in a trip on the TARDIS. So uh, to me that wasn't as far of a leap. Um, but I'm also just first starting into this fandom. So yeah, that's absolutely possible. I mean, he, it's time and relative dimension in space, so mm-hmm. he can go anywhere at any time very quickly. And if you know, if the TARDIS had worked like it was supposed to, it would have just been 12 hours since Rose had been gone, and they would have done all these things, going to the end of the world and going to see Charles Dickens. So, Well, if the TARDIS had worked the way it was supposed to, they wouldn't have seen Charles Dickens because they were <laughs> they supposed to end... They would have been in like Venice or something? 1860. And wasn't it not supposed to be Cardiff? It was supposed to be Venice. It or was something? supposed to be Venice. Yeah. Yeah. It completely, the the completely wrong place and time. That's eh, not the so. first time that'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear that TARDIS is not as a reliable ship as one would like, uh, especially when traveling through something as sensitive as time and space. But. <laughs> uh, I did love, uh, and of course. <laughs> the the world that we are currently living in being what it is uh the this next reference very, stuck out very much uh but the the savine this no not savine slavine the slavine the slavine uh mentioned how there's a recession up there implying that in space in the uh, galactic economy there's a recession going on which i found kind of interesting again tying it back to the the current situation we're going through that the entire galaxy would have some sort of economic downfall i guess yeah it's not just earth <laughs> sure so in 2006 the galactic economy was not doing so well and you know the opportunistic Slavine were going to exploit that, but I found that reference uh, just mildly interesting, you know. And and there's also more to the Slavine than we find out in these episodes. Um, it has nothing really to do with um, what happens in these later seasons, but there are um, other I don't want to uh, other entities of entertainment watching that we <laughs> find out more about the Slavine and and their family and what they had actually gone through to bring them to this point. Interesting. Again, any time that you arc back to something that you set up, uh, either obviously or very um, subvertly, I really enjoy in storytelling because it does feel purposeful and, and, you know, that actions that are taken as crazy as some of the stuff that happens in these shows seems to be, there is a purpose and a reason and that you're laying out a greater story than just what is being told. So I do enjoy that. You've got the perfect writer then because Russell T Davies is amazing at that. He, uh, I, I, you're the, the second host to mention his name and I, I'm really not familiar with his work. I, I've heard of the other show that he created. Uh, Eric mentioned that he was responsible for Queer as Folk. Mm-hmm. But I, I can honestly say, I don't know that I've ever seen Queer as Folk, and I certainly hadn't seen Doctor Who. Uh, 
but I'm enjoying the story arcs that he's creating. I'm, I'm enjoying the world that he's laying out in front of me. And, you know, we, I mentioned it, I think almost every episode at this point, if this, this is the season that most Doctor Who fans have told me in the past, you just have to get through the first season. Uh, and in fact, last week, Jamie mentioned how uh, that very episode, the Aliens of London and War War World War Three, are the episodes that she goes, you just got to get past the farting pig people. <laughs> and if that is the case, then considering how much I've enjoyed Aliens of London and the 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 payoff this week's episode to me uh, i mean i started the episode by saying wow and i mean it like wow it really just unfolds in such a satisfying way and sort of gives this world a lot more weight to it emotionally uh and there's i mean there's destruction they destroyed big ben they destroyed 10 downing street and they did it on purpose and willingly and then there's a whole little conversation with mickey about how people are now disbelieving what they saw with their own eyes because that's what's being presented mm -hmm. that's that's amazing storytelling so if this is the weaker part of the storytelling i i am absolutely elated to have more episodes ahead of me yes i mean this two-parter i wouldn't say they're you know hands down my favorite episode by any means but these two-parters set up so many things and just so many relationships that keep going at least you know through the next four seasons um and davies just does an amazing job with that that I have to I have to say, a lot of uh, when I talk to people in all sorts of fandoms. I mean, we're we're both also big parts of the Star Wars fandom, and we've had long discussions about Star Wars and what's happening in there. Yes. When when people start sort of bashing specific runs of storyline because they feel that it's too slow and too tedious or it, it's not what they want and they want to jump to the action. They want to jump to the, uh, a lot of times I think what ruins fandoms is this expectation that whatever they like, the fandom has to serve that to them and bringing it back to Dr. Who I have no frame of reference, so I can't speak to what is going to happen in future episodes, but I feel like everything that I am watching is important, has importance. It's revealing things to me as a first-time watcher, and as I'm talking to fans that have been fans of the show for a very long time are telling me, there's things in these episodes that are necessary, that set up things that will happen in the future. So if if that is the case, then we can't dismiss it. And I really, I'm starting to uh, get a little tired of people saying, well, if you like, it, 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 you, you just get past these three episodes and yeah, then Yeah, get past season one. No, I mean, absolutely. It's a right. great season. It's and necessary. he's a wonderful doctor. He's an incredible doctor. I, I, I cannot wait. 
uh, the, apparently I, I found out in more reading since uh, these episodes have started to come out, the the new storylines that he's going to be telling the the books are coming out next year. It's 2021. And I think there's another story that comes out after the audio books, the audio books that he's releasing. Uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing what happens to his interpretation of the doctor with 15 years of hindsight, because on, from what I'm watching, I adore every action, every facial expression. He is so emotive. In this episode alone, we talked about it. His, you know, his his facial expressions when he's talking about possibly losing Rose, his facial expressions when he's uh put up against, you know, he he's cornered by the aliens. And he the looks elevator. at the, right, and he's like, "Well, if you're going to corner somebody and put their back, make sure that it's not against the lift." See ya. Uh, you know, his playfulness is just so fun, and what uh, what would otherwise be a somewhat tedious episode or a somewhat heavy episode. Again, this episode has a lot of carnage. I mean, as fun as it was, lots of people died in it. And yet yeah. the he maintains this levity and this spirit while being respectful. I mean, bringing it back to this episode, he has that moment where he's putting the the secretary guy that had been in the previous episode sort of ushering mm-hmm. everybody in. And he sort of lays him down to rest and he apologizes to him. And it's yes. a very like everything that Eccleston is doing is just resonating so deeply with me as such an endearing character. So far, I have yet to see him do anything that makes me go, what a jerk. Like everything he's doing <laughs> is just like, oh, you're, you're okay. You're, you're okay. You're a good guy. Yeah. I think when they decided to reboot Doctor Who, they couldn't have used a better actor. You know, because he can play the very serious, dramatic parts of the role, but he's so great at that playful, fun doctor who, you know, even though he's 900 years old, he's still excited. You know, at, at the beginning of this two-parter, when he and Rose see the, the ship land, he's like, yes, all right, let's go. I mean, to have that amount of excitement after 900 years, it's incredible. It's, uh, I like the childlike wonder that he imbues this 900-year-old character with that just makes him super endearing and relatable to me. Yeah. So what uh, what from this episode did I miss? Is what what have I not asked you about that you think I should have noticed in preparation for what is to happen in the future? Um well, I think like I mentioned before, you know, there's a reason that the doctor keeps calling Ricky Mickey. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not something that'll pay off, you know, next week or the week after. It'll, it'll be a while. It's just things to, to remember. Um, like you said, the kid was spray painting Bad Wolf mm-hmm. on the TARDIS. And we've heard that before. You know, we had um, Gwyneth mention it in uh, the Charles Dickens episode. Um, Something I thought was was really fun that I didn't notice when I first watched Doctor Who, 
But when I watch it, because I mean, of course, I've watched Simple <laughs> so many mm-hmm. times, but having known what, what is coming, there's something that um, Jackie says at the end of this episode um, when she and Rose are talking, you know, like, oh, Harriet Jones, she's taking all the credit, blah, blah, blah. But she, she makes a joke that, um, that Rose and the doctor should get knighthoods for their mm. work. So just, you know, something to keep in mind. Um, and also, I mean, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Were the Slovene killed in the explosion? Uh, we don't necessarily see them. I mean, we see the rubble and the only thing sort of standing is that metallic room that they were in. Mm-hmm. So the assumption that I would make is that, yes, that they were eviscerated uh, along with everybody else that was in the lower levels of 10 Downing Street. But you never know in Doctor Who anything's possible. Uh, I, that is true. That is absolutely true. But excellent. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you for this episode. I cannot wait to have you back on the show to discuss other adventures of Doctor and Rose. So thank you so much, Ashley, for joining us. Thank you. This is so much fun. And thank you to the listeners for sticking around and listening to the podcast. If you want to support us, go to firsttimelord.com and on the webpage, you'll see a button that says support the show. Go to Patreon. Uh, If you click on that, it'll take you to my Patreon site. On Patreon, if you search for Daniel Levain, I will pop up and you know, five bucks and you get these episodes early uh, at some of the higher tiers. You get the episodes early and you get extra content, things that I cut out of the episode for time or sometimes I goof little uh, blips that happen in the show that get included in the extras. So any support is greatly appreciated. And once again, if you go to the website, firsttimelord.com, you can leave a comment under each episode. Let me know what you thought of War World 3. Did I cover everything that I should have covered? Did I miss something? Was there a part that you liked that I did not discuss that I that you feel I should know about? Please drop us a comment. And I guess I have nothing else to do now but to get back to watching some more Doctor Who episodes. <laughs>